Welcome, Mrs. Glenn Caruso, broadcasting from Lake Lore Classical Academy in lovely Lake Lore, North Carolina, nestled between the Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge. The fall leaves are coming and the colors are just gorgeous. Today I'm talking to three students from the school and I'll let them introduce themselves. The topic will be about decision making and the importance of good decision making and how you learn decision making and the consequences of poor decisions. So now I'll turn it over to the students. Let's, uh, let's hear your name as well as what grade you're in and what you like to do uh, in your free time. Um, I'm Parker. I'm in 11th grade and I like to write. Great guys, let's give ourselves a round of applause. <laughs> Terrific, well like I said before, um, I'm just writing everybody's name down so I can't. <laughs> um, great, well first let's start off and, and give me your thoughts about decision making and what's, why is it important, especially to young adults like you, Michael? I'll let you go first. Don't worry. Okay. So, <laughs> why is decision making important for young adults? Decision making is the biggest part of mundane life, I think, and without it, this what? us as a us <coughs> as a society overall, it would immediately crash back into the stone ages. Why why do you say it's mundane? Decision making is mundane. Well, I mean, the average human, the average human makes around, I think, quarter of a million decisions in their life, maybe more. Totally made up statistic, but we'll I'm not kidding. It. It, I looked it up one day. I think really? it was. I read an article. I read part of an article. I read the title of an article, and that's what I gleaned yeah, from it. Yeah, yeah. So, we, but why do you say it's mundane? Uh. Mon I mean, is it mundane to make the decision? I won the big lottery. Do I take it? Do I take the billion dollars in twenty installment payments or one lump sum of a half a billion? Is that a decision that you'd find mundane? Well, it would be a that kind of decision would be a one in a million because the lottery. We all know the lottery is rigged. But overall, yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Maple. I think decision-making and how to make good decisions is important, especially for adolescents. Because as teenagers, it's really hard to just like steer on one specific good path, and you're going to make good decisions and bad decisions, and you have to actually be able to take the time out of your day when you're trying to figure something out to make your right decisions. Because if you just like, if you decide immediately, if someone presents you with a question, would you rather do this or would you rather do that? If you decide immediately, the chances of you regretting that are probably very high. And if you're going to make, especially like important decisions like moving, getting a dog, having a cat, you know, getting a new car, having a kid, you need to be able to sit down by yourself at first, but then with the person that you may be that you may be wanting to do these things with so that you can make it together. Hmm. Make a joint decision. Hmm. Interesting. 
Parker, what are your thoughts? Well, that's difficult because you have to understand what constitutes a good decision and what constitutes a bad decision. A good decision is when you think before you act. You consider how your choice affects you and others. Uh, if you do what feels right and doesn't hurt anyone, uh, if you solve a problem, be ready to adjust things, uh, adjust things if things change, and be nice and fair. Those are good decisions. Bad decisions are when you act without thinking, ignore how your choice might cause problems, do something you know is wrong, make things worse, um, don't change things when, uh, when things go wrong or hurt yourself and others. But what constitutes a good decision is really dependent on you know, how mature your mind is, right? How, what, what mindset do you have? Right? What, what do you mean? A minds, like what mindset you have is when, almost like when you think of, when you think positively, like I'm going to make good choices. If you think with that mindset, you're almost always gonna make a good choice. You might have a couple slip-ups, but making a good choice is, you know, being ready to solve a problem, right? But if you go in with a bad mindset, you'll act without thinking, you'll ignore how your choice might affect others, and the list goes on. Can you, can you give me an example of when, I'll ask this of all of you, but I'll start with Parker, just to go backwards. Um, what was uh, a decision you made that you feel had a significant impact on your life? Um, when I was in middle school, well, actually not even just in middle school, uh, for my entire life I was bullied. And I let that get to the better of me. Um, and when I was in middle school, it kind of was at a tipping point. Um, when I was figuring out who I was and, um, you know, talking with friends that I thought were good friends when they weren't. And I ended up in the hospital because uh, I attempted suicide and was on, uh, ended up with liver failure because I overdosed. And that constituted a bad decision, right? Even though I know I could advocate for myself and I know I could solve a problem, I acted without thinking. Uh, I ignored how my choice would cause more problems and for a while, I didn't change when things went wrong, and I hurt, ended up hurting myself and some of my others, uh, some of my other peers around me. Let me ask you: Are you healed now? I mean, in terms of, you know, like for the, was it at like what did you overdose on? Tylenol. Tylenol. So that that was the liver. Wow. Wow. I'm so sorry about that, Parker. Um, I know how hard it can be. I was bullied very, very heavily too, but it's a hard thing to take. So it's, um, I'm proud of you, how you've come through it, and I, I'm Thank sure you. it's not it's not easy, it can't be easy, but proud of you. Thank you. Um, Maple. Um, I guess one decision that I made <coughs> that's impacted me from now, um, I was sexually assaulted when I was eight years old, and I made the decision to tell someone who I thought I could trust. In turn, she told my father for me. And that later ended up with me getting disowned during COVID. And as a 14, 15 year old child, 
trying to seek help for something that you've been dealing with for so long and not telling anybody, you should be able to trust somebody that you see as your family to tell. But I think it was a good decision in some ways because it finally was able to help me get the clarity that I needed to move on from the situation. But I also had to realize I could have gone about it in different ways and, you know, I'm still to this day trying to rebuild my relationship with my father and especially now that my grandma has passed away, his mom, it's been easier because I've had, I guess, ins and outs to go into the situation. But I've always regretted not telling somebody else, another adult in my family, about my situation. Wow. Would you, what, so what would you do differently this time? Would you tell others in your family or? or? I think I would have my mom talk to my father because my mom found out before he did. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. Well, that's so hard and, and you, you really handle it very maturely. Just like you, you both. Um, I'm proud of you, but I'm, I'm sorry that even happened. That would have to happen. Michael, tell us about a decision you made that was significant in your life, and are you happy with it? None of the decisions I've made have really impacted me in a big way. Uh, so, I don't really have much to say. But um, all I'll say is this. One time I did get super low and like uh, yeah, I tried committing suicide, not off Tylenol, but um, with a blade. I'm not going to delve into the story deeper, I just, yeah. I'm sorry. Gosh, um, boy. Um, thank you for sharing that. I know it mustn't be easy. Um, I'm all glad. I'm very glad you're all here today with me, though, and with all of us. All right. What are some key factors that influence your decisions? And and you, I think you, Parker, brought up a little of it. But how do you go approach making good decisions, especially when we're talking? like teaching young children how to make decisions. What do you think about? Is there a process to that? When I was taught, and even in like elementary school or preschool, I was taught that in your mind, you have to go through these doors, right? And these doors only open up when you're making a good decision. And you have to be conscious when you're making a good decisions, right? Which is not always easy to do. But when you're making a good decision, these doors will open up. In order to have a good decision, the first door is to think before you act. If you're thinking about what you're doing or what you will do, that door will open up. If you are considering how your choice is affecting others, then that door will open up. If you know what, uh, if you know what doesn't feel right, or if you do what feels right and it doesn't hurt anyone, then that door will open up. If you are trying to solve a problem, then that door will open up, and so on and so forth. If any of those doors 
do not open up. It's because you're not making a good decision. Huh. Get, like, just dive into that a little bit. I'm, I'm not totally following you, but give me, like, a for instance. Like, if you were, like, if you were trying to explain it to a younger child, because I like these analogies. I just, and I sort of get it, but I, I just want to sort of... Say... Say you're say you're outside. You're on recess. You know you're you're a little child now. You're you're at recess and you want to go to the swing. Someone's in the swing, and you want to get your turn, right? If you want to get your turn, you first have to think before you act. Say this child doesn't think before they act, and they push the kid outside. Uh, push the kid out of the uh, push the kid out of the swing. Now they just haven't made a good decision. If they take the time to think before they act, that first door opens up. Now the child has to consider how his choice will affect himself and others. If the child does do this and realizes that pushing him off the, uh, the swing can uh, hurt him and get himself in trouble, then he's making a good choice. If he doesn't do that, then the door won't open and he's not making a good choice. If he does what feels right and asks him to have a turn, then he's making a good choice. Um, if he's trying to solve a problem and trying to negotiate with the person saying, okay, can I, um, you can have a couple more minutes, then can I have the slide? He's trying to solve a problem that constitutes a good choice and so on and so forth. What makes a bad choice is if the child is acting without thinking, like he pushes him off the swing just because he wants the swing, or he ignores that pushing him off the swing will cause problems, or doing what he knows is wrong, or making things worse, um, or not changing what he's uh, not change when, when things go wrong, or ends up hurting himself or others. That's what constitutes a bad choice. And using those that door analogy almost kind of gives yourself a step-by-step -step process into making a good choice. It's hmm. an interesting way to approach it. Maple, what are your thoughts? Well, what do you count as like a good choice and a bad choice and a good decision and a bad decision? If you think about it, it's like if I make a decision and I don't agree with it after the fact, that doesn't necessarily make it a bad decision. That just means I didn't make the right decision. But if I make a decision and I completely agree with it, I stick by it, there's nothing I regret, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good decision. It just means that I agree with the decision. There are some things that can 100% be categorized as bad decisions, like killing somebody or hitting somebody. And there are things that can be categorized as good decisions, like donating money to charity or helping a homeless person. But everyday life decisions, like do I want to go put my stuff down before I go get water? Do I want to get water and then go put my stuff down? If you think about it, we all make decisions every single day and it doesn't it's not black and white because not every decision is good or bad necessarily 
there's better decisions for you to make and there's worse decisions for you to make. But at the end of the day, I think that something that in like something that helps me when I make when I personally make decisions, I think about the outcomes that are going to happen if I do. So say my mom told me to do the dishes. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to do the dishes. Well, if I don't do the dishes, I'm going to get grounded. But if I do do the dishes, I have a better chance of going out. So you have to think about your outcomes of the situation if you want to do this or if you want to do something else. You have to think about what you're going to do after and what's going to happen after the fact. Obviously, we can't predict the future, but if you try to imagine your outcomes, it's going to be easier for you to make decisions. Consider the consequences. Yeah. Consider the yeah. outcomes, potential outcomes. I like that. I agree because you know, in life, there is no one size fits all answer. Well, I For think we, I think we also we make decisions based on what we know right now. We know, and that's what like. I have a friend who regrets a lot of her decisions she made years ago. Why didn't she continue on at this school? Why didn't she take that job? But at the time, that was the best decision she could make, and or she, because that's all the information she had. She didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Had, she thought the outcome would be worse if she, if if she didn't make the decision she made. Later, she found out another decision would have been better. But mm -hmm. so. it's so hard because you know humans they have a specific part of the brain for decision making, and it's one of them is not future telling you know if if an, if a human could tell the future on how a decision was going to outcome the benefit of humanity right someone maybe someone in the 1800s had the, the power to tell the future and, and see into what it's going to be like in, in 2023 they wouldn't they would be scared to make decisions at all because any little thing that they do will out, uh, affect the outcome of the future. And that's kind of the thing with, you know, in life there's no one-size-fits-all answer because there really isn't a, an answer on what, can, uh, what will affect you right now. There are some decisions that will absolutely affect you 100% right now, like what Maple said. Um, like if you kill someone, if you kill someone, you're obviously going to get arrested and you're going to push everyone else away from you. That's, you know, that's an instantaneous response. But say, say you kill someone again, but this time you hide the body. You don't know how the outcome's going to be. You don't know if you're going to get caught, even if you take all the precautions that you possibly can take to hide the body. You don't know if you're going to get caught by the police or if someone else is going to figure it out. But say they don't figure it out. Say you do get away with it. Then you just go on and living life with a person you killed. The way, the way that I think about it, there's a scale to everything. There's a good side, there's a bad side. The way to tell the difference is you, make, you play in your head a thousand scenarios. It, thousands, millions, it doesn't matter. You keep running simulations until one overbalances the other and it stays that way. That's how I decided to do it. 
everyone might have a different way of making decisions. That's your process. But for me, I see, I run a bunch of simulations, see which ones work out, which ones don't, which one is perfectly balanced, and I go with that. I go with the one that has an equal outcome. Because equal outcome, there's neither a good or a bad. It's just an outcome. Mm-hmm. You can never... I'm trying to put, think of a good way to put this so that way everyone can understand what I'm saying because I don't feel like I'm being clear enough. So, uh, think of it this way. You have, you have heaven, you have the underworld. There are 10, there, there are 11 souls that are at the gates of heaven. Do they walk through? Do they go under? There's going to be an uneven amount, no matter what you think of it. You have to find out what to do with that one singular person. That one singular person, they're just in between. They don't go, they're not good, they're not bad, they're normal. When you have a normal decision, it's most likely the best decision. That's so hard, too, because others might have a different opinion on your decision. You may think that your decision is balanced, but someone else might not. And when I mean other people have different opinions, other people have different values, experiences, morals, and they might not see the full picture or understand your reason behind a decision. And if that were the case, then communication would have to take place. So that way you could both reach an agreement you can both well agree on. So indeed it can happen and most likely does. If you can find a way to where you're both happy, it's a win-win. Always look for the win-win in this situation. All right, now I've got another uh, another question. That is, how do you balance emotion and logic? With emotion being so, can be so overwhelming and make you act immediately when you shouldn't. When you should stop and think, consider the consequences, like you two said. There, there are times to where you need to use your emotions and when you need to use logic. You need to know how to tell the difference. If you're making a decision based on like what object you're going to buy at the store, like should I get Oreos or should I get Chips Ahoy? You kind of contemplate your logic. Well, this one is more... Chips Ahoy is more soft than Oreos, but Oreos are more sweeter, and there's more of them in one pack. You go out and back, and you pick them. That's going to be a, you don't lose, you don't win, you're just getting one thing and maybe another. So, but when it's emotion, then there's the good and the bad. You let me put this in a different way. When you're making a decision about an object, you contemplate which one is better. 
when you're doing something that has to deal with a human life, say, you know in those movies where it's like one lives, one dies? Yeah. That would be one where you use emote. You would use logic and emotion at the same time. Which one do you care about most and which one has helped you the most in life? You know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And well, okay. 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 Mabel, what do you think? Uh, the question is emotion in your decision making. Mm-hmm. How do you keep it out of your decision making? Is it possible to balance emotion? To balance logic? it, like the, you know, the consequ- thinking about the consequences of your actions, but when you're in the heat of the moment. I mean, I think it's fully impossible to just completely balance emotion and logic every single time something is wrong or every single time you need to make a decision there are going to be things that are going to happen that are going to outweigh logic like when my grandpa passed away I threw my phone like onto my computer wasn't even thinking about it my emotion outweighed my logic but there are other times where you can have certain things that go on and you can still take time to think about it in all honesty, it's just, it really depends on the way each individual person's brain works. Like, if I have something going on and someone starts being rude to me, obviously I have a decision to make whether I'm going to not say anything or if I'm going to be rude back. And if I'm already upset, then my emotion is probably going to outweigh my logic rather than if on a day where I was on cloud nine and people were starting to talk and say things, my logic would completely outweigh my emotions. So basically, I just think that it depends on who you are as a person and how your brain works because there are some people that completely let their their emotion outweigh their logic. And there are some people that don't let their emotions like decide what they're going to make when they make decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally makes sense. Is there any advice you'd give to someone who's act who tends to act emotionally on decisions versus rationally and logically? Is there any way you could I'm looking for hints and tips. Stop. Just stop. You have to take a minute. You have to step away from situations because you're gonna do something that you regret and you could hurt yourself, you could hurt other people. You need to come to stepping, stepping away from your situation is really important if you're someone that lets your emotion outweigh your logic, especially if it's with other people or like your family members, your, your children, you know, you need to, Take a minute and step away from your situation. Take a breath, calm down, and then you need to decide what you're going to do, how you're how you're going to move forward. That's a good answer. Very good answer, Parker. You know, I've a while back, and it stuck with me. But I remember watching this documentary about uh, Steve Harvey talking about this very thing: balancing emotion and logic. 
And the way he said is every day he wakes up, he thinks of a positive thing. And the reason why is because your brain is like a factory. Your brain has two sides. You have your happy emotion, your sad emotion, and obviously your logic. But your emotions are what drive your decisions. When he wakes up in the morning, he thinks of a positive thing. Like, I'm happy to be alive and waking up today. I'm happy to go to work. I'm happy to, you know, do whatever. His brain justifies, and so does everyone else, their your brain searches for ways to justify that emotion. For example, you're, maybe you're in a coffee shop and, you're, and someone smiles at you. Your brain justifies what you said that morning with the smile someone gave you mm. and, and creates a, a factory of finding reasons to make you happy that day. If you wake up that morning and go, I really don't want to go to work, it's a rainy day, the weather sucks, your brain is going gonna, is gonna to take that information and what you put out into the universe to justify that decision. So it's, you know, there, there really is no way to figure it out, but a way to do it is to understand how you feel get the facts from those emotions and then think about them and then of course you got to stay true to your values talk to others and make good choices and sometimes taking time con um, and understanding consequences or being flexible or being open to change your mind and learning from past experiences to be better in the future great answer all of you um, what about um, peer pressure on decisions? Have you ever changed your decision because of peer pressure? I know I have. Um, we'll start, Abel. I, I definitely have had some issues with peer pressure. Um, I've changed a lot of my decisions based on peer pressure, especially when I was 12 to 13. I had some siblings who did some things that a 12 to 13 year old shouldn't be doing. And I let what they wanted me to do decide what I wanted to do for me. And I think it's safe to say that you can learn something from being peer pressured because you can learn. You can do things that you don't want to do. And It'll be like, okay, we're not going to do that again. Once we grow up, we're not going to do that again. But I also think it's important to know that, especially with friends, if they're trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do and they're calling you names for not doing it, then they, they are not your friends. You don't want to associate with those people. And honestly, peer pressure is really, really awful. I mean... People become addicted to things just because of peer pressure. Like, you have to think about what you're doing. And if you're peer pressuring people, you already have no idea the things that you can get them into. You don't know what they're going on, like what they have going on in their lives. And it can be hard to just stop because your friends will become dependent on you. And if you're peer pressuring them, they're gonna seek your approval. And 
their whole world is going to become about you and you have no idea the consequences that can have, especially on the teenage mind. Wow. Interesting. Michael, peer pressure and decisions, what do you think? So, peer pressuring is wrong, in my opinion. It's just flat out wrong. There's no reason for it. There's no reason to do it. If someone's going to make a decision, they should make it about them, not anyone else. The way I view peer pressuring is basically like twisting someone's mind, like a form of psychological torture, hmm. if you will. Because there's there was a, a psychological torture method that soldiers would use to get information out of the enemy. It was the duct tape and dripping water thing. It was this sensation where a repeated something happens over and over. You go, when it happens long enough, you basically go insane until you just, your brain is no longer there. And um, I view peer pressuring as a form of that. You're constantly just like, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. It's just, it creates an effect over time that just breaks another person's brain. You need to preserve the brain. You don't need to break it. Have you ever made a decision because of your wrong, what you later consider? Way too much. Way too give much. Me, give me one example. It doesn't have to be anything like horrible back when telling I telling about you or anything. Back when I was in sixth grade, I had, um, I lived in the basically was described as the ghetto and th there were two kids in particular that I was friends with and we used to do everything together we used to go on walks we used to hang hang out 24 7 and then all one day we're walking in the woods and we say hey who wants to try to climb this tree and it was this like I think it was 35 feet, maybe, 40. And I, was, I wasn't pressured to go up there. Someone knew was. I stayed out of it. But he went up into the tree. One of the branches was a little loose. He noticed it and said, I need to get down. But he couldn't because if he... Because that was the only place for him to get some leverage. He was in a tight spot. So one of us had to go up there. That's where I came in. Because okay. I'm, you know, small and light. I went up there, helped him down. I kind of had to use my arm, but he, he was not okay after that. Being stuck in that tree, he was like, I can't. He was afraid of heights. Okay. So I helped him down. Everything went normal. He was terrified of climbing that day. I don't know how he's doing now. I haven't spoken to him in years. But yeah, I could tell he was not okay from being peer pressured. Interesting. Parker, what do you think about peer pressure decision making? Have you ever made a decision because of peer pressure that you wish you hadn't made? It's hard. I mean, I've had a lot of experiences with peer pressure. And I don't remember very much of any of them, to be truthful. 
I don't even really know why I don't remember them. But I do know that, you know, peer pressure, it just, it sucks, right? I mean, you, you're conflicted, right? You want to do something that will make you feel cool, make you, uh, make you socially outward, right? Uh, make you stick out. And if you don't do that, you know you're going to be an outcast. You know you're going to be ostracized from your peers. <laughs> but it's always, it's always important to remember that you have the right to make choices based on what is best for you and your morals, your values. And if you feel pressured, you have to take a step back and think about truly what you want and what is right for you. It's okay to say no if something doesn't align with your values or makes you uncomfortable. Okay. Okay. Um, this we sort of talked about. I know my, I know my story wasn't about me. Yeah. That's only because all my peer pressure, it was just small stuff. It was like jumping in a lake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's why I didn't. Even that's oh. relevant though. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a lake. It was a cold lake, and I didn't want to jump in it. Still made you uncomfortable. Yeah. Cold lake, summer day, not a good idea. And when I say cold, I mean ice cold. And I was just scared of the, like, no, I don't want to go in, because I, I used to get cramps 24-7. So I was just like, no, cold, no, cold. So that was minor. The story I told was more, like, fear invoked. I, I just didn't want to have the foot cramp. I get it, I get it. Okay, what about now changing topics a little bit? When do you get a parent involved in a decision? Would you? What kind of decision would would you say, I want my parents involved? Drugs. Or or somebody somebody who I really trust. I agree with that. Drugs. 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 You would talk to your parents about drugs? I would talk to my parents about drugs. Well. Like, what about drugs? Like, like heroin, crack. Yeah, that kind of stuff. If I ever... God forbid if I ever put something like that in my body, I I would get my parents involved because the addiction gene runs strong down my line. And there are some things that I know I don't have the capacity to do it on my own because I'm, I may be 18, but I am still learning. I think, however, with the whole parent thing, I wouldn't exa- I wouldn't per se get my parents involved. My, I only have one parent. I get my grandpa involved. I li- I'm moving in with him, you know. Your grandfather? Yes. Your other grandpa. Yeah, on my dad's side, we're moving in. Um, I should be there by the end of Christmas break. Oh, neat. So it'll be your mom and, and? Nope, it'll just be me and my grandpa. Oh, wow, okay, cool. But no, I think that I would I would at least try to get someone involved if I started, you know, being addicted to things because I don't want to go down the route that I've seen so many of my family members go down. But there are some small things like if I ever started smoking cigarettes, I wouldn't get my parents involved. Would no standard smoking? Yeah, both my parents smoke. Yeah, everybody used to smoke in the old days. If I started like. Hitting vapes, I wouldn't get my parents involved. If I started 
drinking alcohol. I Wait, how old are your parents again? In their thirties. My 30s? mother is thirty-eight. Yeah, she is thirty-eight. So. I think so. Um, I was born when my mom was nineteen and my dad was eighteen. Wow. Okay. Yes, my parents were babies when they had me, so I grew up with the downside of teen parenting. And then my mom was single, and then my dad got married. I feel like if I needed to involve somebody, it would be my grandpa. He's been there for me through and through. And you were close with your other grandpa. Yeah, I was. (laughs) And I just, I think that it's important to know that your parents in some capacity, may it be small or big, will always love you. And that if you absolutely, if you can't handle things that getting them involved may seem like the worst thing, but it also may be the most important. Mm-hmm. I like to hear that. Oh, we've got, we've got a few minutes left, but I'll, I'll turn it over to Parker and say, what do you think about getting parents involved? And then we'll sort of, we'll wrap it up. You know, I've, I've struggled with that uh, myself. Um, I think most people have. Um, but I think it's important when like the decision is very, very big, complex or important, if it's about safety, health or the law, um, if you're emotional or if you're unsure, if your values are in conflict, if you're feeling pressured and I mean the, the list kind of goes on, right? I think it's hard to tell your parents stuff only because I know that you can trust them but at the same time, it, you know, it's, sometimes it's intimidating. Yeah, yeah. a lot of baggage, a lot of baggage. There is a lot of baggage. Um, my biggest concern about, like, openly speaking about my sexual assault was having to tell my parents first. Um, it's hard to tell your parents that somebody that they trusted hurt you in any capacity. And I think it's also hard for kids, maybe like me and Parker, who have had certain issues with their parents and have had problems to be able to confide in them. It is intimidating and it's hard. I mean, I'm 18 years old and I still barely confide in my mother at all. Yeah. That's what therapy's for. Exactly. A big proponent of therapy. Any other final thoughts, Parker? You know, I just, you know, I just want to mention that, you know, to anyone that's listening, you know, help is out there. If, if you have gone through anything that you need just bigger help with than just your parents, I mean, 211, 911, uh, the Trevor Project, I mean, there is a ton and ton and ton and ton of resources. I mean, your teachers and uh, other trusted friends or family. Uh, who is absolutely out there to, to help you when it's just genuinely in your best interest. And for any parents out there who might be listening along with their child, your child views you as the alpha, or the, the one that they need to look to for guidance. As long as your child doesn't lie to you about anything you have no really need to be mad if they're telling you something it's because they trust you 
listen to them, talk them through it, just help them, be there for the child. All right, well, I think that's all the time we have. Students, thank you so much for uh, giving us your thoughts and opinions today. They were very insightful, help me. Um, so, signing off from Lake Bloor Classical Academy, this is Glenn Caruso and his incredible cast of students who all have superpowers that are just wonderful. Um, have a great night, everybody. Great talking to you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.